Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and get ready for today. We're going to jump into our word today that uh, we have. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you that I have an opportunity to, to speak your word, God. I just thank you for, with freedom, with confidence, without fear. Father, I just thank you that this moment that we have today, that you have given us the, the choice to have listening ears that hear, or the choice to not. And God, today we choose. We choose to hear your word, God. Not a story, not a uh, feel good this or feel good that, but God, a word about us. For life application, personal application, God, that we can take, run with, and be a part of. In your name, amen and amen. Let's go ahead and uh, get started today. Uh, I have uh, the privilege of, of speaking, and it's been an honor to do it for as many years as I have done it. Um, but one thing that never stops for me is that sometimes God will want to uh, speak and change things up, if you will. I have a very specific style that I love to communicate in. It's my bread and butter. It's where I feel the most comfortable. If anybody who speaks, they know what, they know what I'm talking about. Um, and then every once in a while, God's like, yeah, you know what? No. So it gets very uncomfortable. It gets very, very awkward for me sometimes. So today's one of those messages that we're going to be diving in that, to be very frank, is not uh, my favorite. It's not my favorite because the topic is bad. The topic's really good. It's not my favorite because... Uh, I like to be funny and be goofy, and unfortunately, like sometimes God's like, "Yeah, no, we're going to we're going to hit it home." And in the Bible, there's a few different stories that uh, there's stories that have different uh, meanings. Some have just a historical context, right? They're just giving you a historical event that took place. There's real no spiritual application to said event or uh, or hidden meaning. It's just this person had this son, this person had that son, and you you can try to make up a great sermon on it, but it's really purposeful just to give you some historical moments. The Bible is not a history book, though. It's not. It's not intended to be a history book. It's intended to be his story of creation to today and tomorrow. Another type that we see is that you have a historical context. They tell you an actual event that took place, and it helps to bring apart a deeper part of the story. There's not necessarily a lot of application to it. It's just context. Judas hung himself after denying or or betraying Christ. Don't put yourself in that story. You you get what I'm saying? Like, that's not like, oh man, how can I break that down? Like, no, he hung himself. But the context is what happened to the man who betrayed Jesus? And they can go back and say, well, this is the context of what took place, this is what happened to that man. And you know what's crazy about that story is that story, how you feel about that part of Judas hanging himself, tells a lot more about you than it does anybody else. Because if you celebrate that he did that, why would you celebrate that somebody didn't take the chance to repent? Like it's, I guess there is application. Dadgummit. All right. <laughs> Another one is a historical contextual application. That's kind of what we're going through today. Another type is just a... Fictional story, we call them parables. Did not actually happen, but it was meant to have a very specific spiritual meaning about your life. 
But today, this actually did happen. There is a lot of context that builds into Scripture. But also, in this story, there is a lot of personal application that we can take from it. You with me? If you have your Bibles, open up to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the last of our Gospels. If you hit Acts, you've gone too far. Um, hang a left. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it will be on the screen, but John chapter 1, we're going to start off in verse 6. Verses 1 through 5 are, are very powerful verses about uh, Jesus and, and what he was here for and how long he's been here. But in John 1, 6, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Where did John come from? Sent from God. It's not, I promise today, there's not a lot of trick questions. He's sent from God. I, I find this part very unique because it tells us his purpose before it identifies his name. How many of you understand your name is a whole lot less important than the purpose behind why you're here? Just because my name is Peter, the rock, doesn't mean that I'm called to be a rock. My purpose, listen to me, your purpose is not connected to the labels that other people have put on you. Your purpose is beyond the labels, the name tags, whatever, your past, your present, and your purpose is sent from God despite the names that were given to you. John was a man sent from God. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. Pause. He came as a witness. Does anybody else have a different ver a word? I think almost everybody uses witness. He came as a witness. Can I tell you, John was here for a purpose, and you are here for a purpose. Luke 2, uh, 12, 7 says that even the hairs on your head are numbered, some more than others, but it's still numbered. We look at it and we tell us that Ephesians 2, 10, that you are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared before. How many of you guys love to go to somebody's house to eat food and the food's already ready? Yesterday we had we, we went and celebrated my niece's birthday at at, at uh, her mom and dad's house. And when I got there, I, originally my sister sends me a text, "Hey, we're having." How did she how did she reword this? I said, "Hey, what time's tonight happening? Five o'clock at six dinner," which I didn't understand. So I'm like, "We're having a five o'clock dinner at six, but that's what I figured. And she said, "No, no, 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 no. It'll be more like five thirty. So what time do you think Pete shows up? Five thirty. But food's not ready. So now, I did a good job. Yeah, I'm, I'm chopping stuff up. I'm cutting stuff. I'm helping out. But the vast majority of it was prepared. But can I tell you, when it comes to your life, God prepared it all before you were even sent. He doesn't need you to help him prepare. He's not sitting there and be like, well, I've got half of the Legos built together. If you can finish the rest the way you see fit. No, God has a purpose for your life that he has prepared for you beforehand 
that you may walk in them. But just because you don't have a written out plan like John does, doesn't mean that your plan is less important than John's was. Come on, somebody. You are sent on purpose with a purpose. John's purpose was to do what? Be a witness. John's whole point was to be a witness. This Greek word uh, actually means testimony, one who gives evidence or a record. The original meaning of this whole word is it's a Greek word that has this idea of a witness in the court of law or someone who has a direct and personal experience of said events that is willing to put their testimony, their reputation, and life on the line to prove it. Think about that. This is somebody who is willing to say, I am giving up my whole being. And at that time, if you were a false witness and proven false, there was no coming back. It's not like today where you can be in contempt of court, spend 30 days or 15 days in the jail and come back out. No, you are ruined for life. John was sent to give a testimony, to be a key witness, a first-hand account of who the light is supposed to be. That was his purpose. That was it. John's purpose was to convince everyone who would listen to him And all who heard him of the Son of God. His purpose was for identification and for connection. And John 1.8 says this, that he, being John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9 says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He, this is the light, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 10 says the world did not know him. Greek word we have for all of our, our, our students, gnosko. They did not have knowledge of him. To know, gnosko, means to have a personal experience or a first-hand account of something. Sounds very similar to a witness. Jesus walks the earth for 30 years at this moment. He created the earth. And here's the kicker. The world did not have a first-hand first experience of who their own creator was. And this is where so many people are today. This is like our world. They were created by him. They have a purpose by him. Yet if he was to walk and sit next to them, they would not be able to recognize him. Because what we're waiting for is we're waiting for this big, huge boom moment that blows our socks off. But Jesus didn't come in riding in on a chariot. He snuck in to see who would recognize him. He hasn't changed. 
They walked with him. They ate with him. They worshiped next to him. Think about how many times he was in the synagogue for all of those years, worshiping next. He played, you know, whatever games they would play together for years. And they never knew him. This passage for me is frightening because these weren't bad men. A lot of times we have this picture of everybody was out to kill Jesus, and there is really not. There was a handful of people who hated his, uh, his, his prestige and his power that he was getting, but the vast majority of people weren't Jesus haters. These weren't bad men who didn't recognize him. We can get that. These aren't the Hitlers of the world. Like, oh, yeah, Hitler didn't recognize him. That's not what we're talking about. Listen to me. These aren't bad men. They're busy men. These are people who aren't evil, but they've just been too busy to look for him. They're preoccupied to pause and take an account of their own lives. They work. They spend time with their families. They go to church. They rinse, cycle, repeat. They do all those things over and over and over again. They wake up. They do this. They have the routine that's going on, and they stick their head down, and they're trying to make something. These are good men. A good man is a man who works. Read the Bible. They're doing their thing. They're plowing it. They're, they're doing the best they can. But the problem is, is that they haven't paused in the busyness to look around and witness a moment in their lives. Here's the problem, though. Money you can lose and get back. Health can fail and you can recover. But a moment that passes by is gone. And it's never coming back. And these people had 30 years of moments. And as we continue to go through this, my first, my first question for me today is this. Is, have we been in our busyness, have we missed, have we not recognized his moments? In my busyness of life, have I missed the moments that I should have watched? In my busyness of everything that's good, not bad, have I missed the moments with Christ? No, it's a lie. As we continue this process in life, this is the biggest question that we have. Have we found ourselves so consumed with one thing that we've traded it for something greater? This summer, I, I was cutting grass, and uh, I got my headphones in, trying to get my tan, and I'm plowing around. Boom, I'm over here in this field by the youth room. And I see a dollar bill. I'm like, man, that's free money. We had a football game, I think, and I'm like, man, somebody just dropped a dollar. I'm not too lazy to jump off of a mower and get a dollar bill, right? So I hop off. The mower rolls, I jump up and grab my dollar, and as I look up, ready for this? I watch the mower roll over a $10 bill and shred it. And I'm sitting here going, ah, 
<laughs> I, I keep it in the shop. I keep it in the shop because it reminds me. I'm sitting there looking at this $1 bill going, you idiot. You jumped off for a one and you killed a 10. And it just <laughs> and shredded. And I'm like, there's no come. It wasn't like a corner. It's, it's gone. And I'm sitting there and I took it to the shop and I put it on the counter in the shop down there because I, I want to remind myself how often I'm willing to trade a 10 for a 1. How quickly I'll look at something that is, oh, right in my immediate proximity, but I'm not paying attention to what's down the road and I'm, I'm hopping off and I'm willing to sacrifice a great thing for a good thing. And I'm standing there with regrets going, is this really what I traded it all in for? And this is where I'm asking y'all today. In our busyness of life, have we traded a 10 for a 1? John 11, John 1.11 says this. He came into this, his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who all believed in his name, he gave the rights to become the children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, who comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. From, for from his fullness we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, who has made and been known by him. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, then who are you? We need to give an account, give an answer to those who sent us on what you say about yourself and what you are doing. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why do you baptize if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. And John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Two big questions in this moment. Two things the Pharisees want to know. Ready? Who are you? And what are you doing? Who are you, and why are you here? Uh, uh, years back, uh, I was pastoring at a church, and we had three different buildings. We had the big, huge sanctuary auditorium area, and then we had two modulars in the back that were independent and separate. Our modulars in the back did not have any security system at all, but our main building did. It had motion and doors and windows and all that fun stuff. And we had a, a meeting that was taking place on one afternoon. I got everybody, I finished my meeting, I got everybody out, but I set the alarm and went back to my office. 
I guess the door didn't close all the way. Maybe somebody opened it back up. Not quite sure, but I guess the alarm went off. Uh, after some time, the alarm company called, and no one answered. So what do you think they did? They sent the police. And I'm in my office, in the middle of the night, inputting all my data, doing all my, my, my post-message notes and, and meeting notes, getting it all ready, and all of a sudden, I heard a little knock on my door. No, I didn't hear no knock on the door. You know what I heard? <laughs> Guns. Listen, them deputies showed up and they had nothing else to do that day. This was their moment to shine. They were doing it for the cross, I guess, because they came in hot and loaded. I don't know if you've ever had a gun pointed directly at your face. It's not a fun event. Unfortunately for me, I've had that more than once. But in this moment, boom, guns come in, and my hands just go like this. What do, think, what do you think they were asking? Who are you, and what are you doing here? What did I say? Uh, 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 who are you? And so they're yelling. Both of them are asking multiple questions at the same time, and I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. Like, who do I answer first? What do I do? And finally, one of them goes, do you have a weapon? And I went, yeah! Horrible idea. And I go, I'm Pete! As if that's the code word. For every cop, they go like, oh, 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 oh great. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Can I tell you, if you get mugged tonight, and you go, I'm Pete, they're not going to be like, man, they got the secret word, and they're going to put their guns away. No, that means nothing to them. They heard, this guy's got a gun, and his name is Pete. Yeah, when we read the report, makes it easy. Finally, one of them realizes, this guy's about to pee himself, and we're not getting any information. So he puts his gun down and asks, well, why do you have a gun? To which I reply, in case anybody breaks in, I can defend myself. And at that moment, I realized... I hope they creep in, because if they kick down the door like y'all did, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad time. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Now I need some new BVDs, but we're good to go here. They wanted to know my name. They wanted to know why I was where I was. Because to them an alarm was triggered. The Pharisees, an alarm was triggered. Their alarm was, why are people leaving us for this guy? We have alarms. We all have alarms that go off. We call them red flags. We have these moments where we go, hmm, what's that about? When you walk up and you see two people talking at the water cooler and then they all of a sudden get quiet and walk away, red flag. I don't care who you are. They could have been talking about the football game, but every one of us go, that was about me. We all do it. I don't care. I'm not going to say the joke. Come on. Lisa Lane gave me the look. All right, so they wanted to know. These leaders sent the priest and Levites to interrogate John. They wanted to know who you are. Do you think you're special, John? Do you think you're important, John? 
You are talking about the Messiah, so do you think that you're him? What are you doing here? Why are you out here with all of these people if you're not an important person, John? Why are you baptizing people, John? Not, man, thanks for doing the work of the ministry. You're leading people to repentance. Why do you think you can do something better than me? Same questions that we should ask ourselves. Who are you? Are you a man? Are you a woman of faith? Are you just a spectator? Are you a seeker? Wondering what this faith is about? What are you doing in this earth? Why are you here? Why do you breathe? How about we make it smaller? Why are you in this church today? Why are you listening to this message? Why are you watching it online? What are you doing right now? And here's the kicker. John knew who he was. He knew who he wasn't. And he knew why he was doing what he was doing. I find it so interesting that people today all claim to be unique but they don't know what they're unique about. But here's the questions that we need to ask ourselves. When was the last time you did something with your faith that triggered flags for other people? When was the last time you did something for the kingdom and people go, what was that about? Or have we just blended in so much that we just don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers anymore? In John 1.29, it says, The next day, after this inquisition, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I did myself not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. John has his moment, he sees him, he recognizes him. Something happens and he goes, that's the one. That's the one that I've been looking for. He testifies about him, he points people at him, and the fact that he believes it so much, he begins to see, send his followers. Remember, the world did not know him, the world didn't have a clue who he was, and in fact, I think it was in verse 10, it says that they also did not receive him. Did not receive. Hey, Thomas, can you hear me for a second? They didn't. This is this is the whole idea of they did not receive. They did not not open arms, but come alongside. Come with me. Just just walk right side by side. They did not. They did not receive him. They did not walk with him. All right, stop. Turn. They did not. They did not do his thing. All right, hold your hands up like this. Thomas is strong. He's been working out. Hey, can I ask, real real quick? I asked Thomas to do two things. What were they? 
in a second? Hold his hands up. When did I ask him to resist me? No, what happened was the position changed and he became defensive. Thanks, Bob. What's happening in our lives right now is we're finding ourselves at one moment in our lives walking side by side with Christ, and then something shifted, something took place, and I'm pretty confident we can all figure out what it was, and now we're finding ourselves no longer side by side, but pushing against. Christ never intended for me to resist or stop being the one thing I was supposed to be, and that was a witness. He never wanted us to stop going out and making disciples of the nations. He never pivoted. We did. And this is what's taken place, is we're supposed to go alongside, and then he says, hey, stick your hands out, and instead of him going, hey, here's some extra cash, we're holding back, ready for a fight. I'm not going any further. This is as far as I can go, because you changed something. My my, my mood was shifted. My, my angle was changed. I was comfortable with this, Jesus. And then you turn 90 degrees, and I'm not okay with 90 degrees. They did not receive him. They no longer walked with him. John, though, at this moment, realizes that's the one. The one I've been looking for, and that feeling must have been absolutely mind-boggling. My whole life, I'm called to be a witness, and now here I am. I'm seeing it. This is the one. When I was 17, uh, uh, it was one of my many prodigal son years, and unfortunately, I've got people in the room who know it, and so, yeah, we're going to fast forward, but there was a moment at 17, the end of my 17th, at the summer after I graduated, I'm like, hey, a wake-up call took place, and I needed to get right with God. Uh, just as the prodigal son said, I need to come home, so did I. Y'all feel me? I'm just happy that I knew where home was. So, I did. And the passion, the intensity of the lost, my friends, I began to tell them about Christ turn we gotta we gotta get right we gotta get right and i and i'll never forget the feeling of leading a couple of them back home back to the lord and that feeling was incredible it was the moment in my life where i'm like this is what i'm called to do this i just took somebody from darkness connected them to christ and brought them into the light that's what i'm here for so for the rest of my life i'm like i'm going into the ministry and i'm gonna do this and you know what happened all my friends were already saved Yeah, I would preach, and I would give an altar call, and I'd travel into different continents. I'd go to different countries. I'd experience altar calls, but I didn't personally take somebody from one spot into another spot. Have you ever done? Have you ever led somebody like you knew to Christ? Like you walked them? There is nothing like it. Nothing like it. When you see that, I need that. It clicks, and there's something about it that is just totally mind-blowing. I found myself in this moment no longer leading my friends to Christ, and I found myself busy in the work of doing the kingdom that I forgot to be the kingdom. I caught myself so involved in what was taking place in my own life that I forgot that I was supposed to be the kingdom. 
See, being the kingdom means you are bringing freedom to captives. What about you? When was the last time you brought the kingdom to somebody? Maybe the craziness of life has gotten our eyes off the prize of a high calling and maybe all of our, our other things of growing our families and getting a promotion and getting a new job or uh, next vacation, all good things. Nothing in that's evil. Nothing in that's bad at all. All great things. But maybe we've placed more importance on those things than something else. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's the voices of others. Whatever it has been to cause us to pull back. Maybe it's um, insert whatever it is. I can't give you all the reasons for why you were once leading people to Christ and now you're blending in. That's, you've got to figure that out. But we miss moments now. I'll throw myself under the bus. A few weeks ago, uh, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings uh, because I love it, and they were doing buy one, get one free, so I double love it. So I'm sitting there eating my wings and destroying them. It's fantastic. I go back to my truck, I crank my truck up, and I turn my, light, I turn my truck on, and I go to put it in reverse, and I back up, and all of a sudden, ding, an indicator light comes on. The indicator light says I have low tire pressure, which, it's cold. That's normal. The problem was, it was reading at one pound of pressure, which is flat, flat. Like, it's supposed to have, I think it was 35, it's one. So now, in the middle of the night, in the Buffalo Wild Wings parking lot, I'm laying down on the asphalt, trying to change a tire. And three guys, three goodens, you know what I'm talking about, and their girlfriends come walking up and stand over me. What you doing? <laughs> I, have a, I have a tire iron in one hand, and the jet, I mean like, here we are. And I was like, ah, I got a flat tire. Well, why'd you do that? I felt like it. Like, you know, I'm just like, forget you, tire, stab. Like, no, it was just, that's like, it just happened. I don't know, I must have ran over a nail or something. Huh. What are you doing with that? My, my ja- I'm jacking up the truck. <laughs> it's not a jack. I'm like, I mean, it is. I read the owner's manual. This is the jack. He goes, I, I kid you not. He looks at his girlfriend, hold my beer, walks to his truck, and gets a jack and sets it down, slides it under, and was like, what, what, what? My truck was flying in the air. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And then this other guy goes, oh, I got a new ratchet gun. Runs to, who's excited about a ratchet gun? Runs to his truck, and as if this is a NASCAR, we zip, 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 yank it off, and they're asking their girlfriends to time how fast they can get this thing done. And I'm standing there, holding this one guy's beer, watching, like, what is happening here? I went from laying under the ground, doing my absolute best, to watching a pit crew change my tire in the middle of Buffalo parking lot, and they're doing it for time. He yanks it off, it goes, time. I can do better. I'm like, don't just pop another tire just so you can do better. Like, let's let's, let's get this. And he goes, oh, here's the hole. Uh, I got this. Runs to his truck, 
stabs my tire, grabs a little, uh, little you know, plug, plugs it, right? And I'm standing there like, this is happening. This is real life, right? Then he puts air in the tire a little bit, and he goes, all right, grabs a, a lighter with a flame. I kid, it was a blowtorch. I didn't know you were supposed to light those things on fire, but he did. It lit up, melted, put air in it, dropped it. Put it back together and goes, hey, there you go, bub. I'm like, man, I really appreciate this. I really do. He goes, yeah, man, no problem. He goes, what you, what you doing for a living these days? And I said, I'm a, I'm a preacher. He goes, oh, well, that's cool. All right, bye. And, jump. And, and I'm sitting there going like, I'm like, thank you. I was just overcome with gratitude. And in the moment that I got a NASCAR pit crew to change my stuff and fix my tire, not just change it, fix my tire, I didn't take a God-given moment to tell them about my faith. I had a captive audience. They are under my truck. They can't go far. We have moments in our lives on a regular basis that God freezes these people into our lives for a moment to share who He is in your life. Now, a lot of times we get so busy in the doing, we forget about the being. But something happens to John. He gets, continues to do his sermons, he continues to preach, but then he gets arrested. Nothing crazy. He just tells Herod that he's a horrible human being because he had his brother murdered so he could marry his wife. Small stuff. Herod didn't like that. And this is what uh, a historian Josephus says. Herod, who feared the great influence of John over the people, that he might put his power and inclination to raise a rebellion, thought it best to put him to death that they might not overtake him because of his Issues. Issues. So John's taken for, from a position of power to a position of a prisoner. He's taken from this moment where Herod is scared of this man to now he's just a prisoner. Spends about a year at this moment in prison. And the chatter is John's going to die. In fact, the chatter is so strong because Herod's new sister-in-law wife <laughs> wants, him, wants his head on a platter, is what she wants. And the king said, and Herod said, okay. And John knows this. John knows he's about to have his head removed from his shoulders. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, John does this. Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples and went from the deeds of Christ. And John sent word by his disciples saying, are you the one or, or, or should we look for another? Remember, John was so bold. So strong. This is the one. He stood before the Pharisees. He stood before the Levites. He, he stood before the priest telling him who he was. He stood before the people and proclaimed who the Savior of the world was. And now, through a proxy, is asking, are you really the one? I don't blame John for this. He's seriously about to lose his head. 
He has a moment of humanity, but can I tell you, he went from a place of of power to a prison that shifted on him. And sometimes when life shifts, if we don't shift with it, it causes unrest and we pull back. Can I tell you, the past two years, life shifted. It shifted big. And for some of you guys, y'all went from this high, high, high to this, I'm scared to do anything. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. And John is sitting there going, are you the one? And Jesus responds with this. Go and tell John what you see and what you hear. For the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This isn't a rebuke. He's reassuring John. Remember all the stories of the Messiah? I'm checking every single box, my friend. What you're doing right now is worth it. Everything is going through it. I'd say he's asking because he's scared, and and Jesus didn't rebuke him, but he wanted his disciples to hear what was going on. But here's where it hits for me, and this is probably one of the biggest moments that I have right now. Because John went from this unmovable force to asking questions. And this is where many of us are right now. What were the non-negotiables just two years ago that were in your life that you now let go of? 13 months before John was arrested, you to try to take his, his, his purpose away. He had laughed in your face. But now he's moved. He's questioning. Can I tell you, questions aren't bad. It's what you do with them. But this is the moment where we need to look at ourselves and go, what were our non-negotiables when everything was the way we wanted it to be? And then life shifted, and now, well, now they're negotiable. Or not even negotiable, we walked away completely. Like many of us, John was confident about the things of God. And even the basics, maybe like you, Maybe the basics of our faith, like, you know, praying, reading, going to church, all of those things have, that were once near and dear to your heart have fallen away. Being a part of a community, worship, all have fallen back. So far, almost 900,000 people have lost their lives due to COVID. That's tragic. That's, that's heartbreaking. But what's not being reported is the death of church. A recent poll found this. 35% of American churches are down under 50% of what they were. We're talking millions of souls. 35%. Another 20% on top of that say that they're below 30% of what they were. Nine 9% 9% say that they're at 100% of what they were in 2019. 9. 9%. means 91% of our churches are reporting a loss of souls. I'm not saying that this isn't a real thing, but I'm saying that this cannot be our Lord and Savior. We have to change what our focus is on. Not long ago, churches were walking tall, bursting at the seams, inviting everybody. They're having their, their small groups and their barbecues, and they're excited about Easter, and they're going through everything that they can do to, 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 to build the kingdom of God and do everything that's taken place. 
I mean, even thinking about this place, cancer was something we'd laugh in the face of. The amount of times I watched from right here somebody limp all the way down and run after prayer all the way back, I can't even count. The amount of salvations and that I would be lost if it wasn't for... You're going through all of these things and now it seems like church is a side item. And statistically, here's what's crazy, more people are going to the movie theaters than they are churches. It's crazy. Because we've traded a $1 bill for a 10. Because we just we want our comfort without the cost. We were bold in our faith. We were bold in our worship. Our beliefs of what it meant to be a believer. We were we were lions. In fact, Proverbs 28.1 says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. I did some, some research on lions this past week. Does anybody know what lions are afraid of? Take a guess. Elephants, okay. Anybody else? Giraffes, okay. Anybody else? There's one thing that they are deathly afraid of. Hippos, okay. Ready for this? The number for somebody says man. No, no. Ready for this? Lions are afraid of their women. Every husband understands that. You would get into a bar fight with five guys, but be afraid of your wife. Here's what it is: Lions are afraid of their female counterparts, which are lionesses. And lions can be kings of the jungle, but the female counterparts can be more fierce. Than they are. For this reason, lions can fear the lioness and they may not win a fight against them. I, in my lifetime, church has been led as far as the of, of what takes place by a lot of women. Most churches are. And I feel like what's the biggest thing that's taken place is that our lionesses have stopped pushing the lions. And the lions have stopped hunting. Yeah, they're afraid of big animals. Absolutely they are. Elephants, giraffes, hippos. But the number one thing they're afraid of is their women. Because here's the thing that takes place. In general, lions don't hunt and run without fear. They have it. This is what this is a direct quote. These animals are afraid of large animals like elephants, hippos, and giraffes. However, these fears always get overpowered by their hunger. Lions are the bravest animals around, and they need the bravery to hunt the prey so they can be strong or faster than them. The things about lions is this. They are more dangerous when they are starving since they don't pick the prey and they only attack when they're hungry. Here's the thing about righteous people. Righteous people are as bold as lions because righteous people are hungry people. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can I tell you what's happened to churches? They got full. 
they're no longer hungry. There's not this sense of I'm starving for a soul. The great awakenings, the great moves of God were all created because men and women were desperate for a move of God. They were hungry for something. The lions were hungry and they were not going to be moved until their, their hunger was full and what's taken place is now we've tamed the lions, we've put them in a zoo, we have somebody throwing them a steak every once in a while and little kids who should be petrified of them are smacking at the window laughing at them. And that's what the world is trying to do to the church. Contain it. Feed it every once in a while so it's not hungry and lashes out. The world has learned that it can't defeat the church, but it has also learned that it can contain it. And this is where we are now. We are finding ourselves in a paradoxical situation because getting out of the containment means you have to hunt again. And you've got to ask yourself this one big question. Are you willing to leave the containment to be the line you're called to be? Or would you much rather just stay in your fenced-in walls where you know your food's going to be had? I, for me, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I can't keep going through it. I can't keep the whole playing thing any longer. I, I just, I can't, y'all. You know, and I'm not, I'm not picking a political party or a side. I'm not saying anybody's right, wrong, or indifferent when it comes to this. This is not a, a political moment, but for two years, we thought it was two weeks, and it's become a two-year containment zone. And I'm not anti-vaccinations. I'm not anti-doing all those things. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying I'm anti the church being contained. I'm tired of the church. If we're going to go to work, why can't we be the church at work? If we're going to go to the movies or a basketball game or a baseball game or a football game, why can't we be a church there? If we're going to go out into the Walmart and the Target and everything else that we're doing, why can't we be the church then too? And this is the problem that I'm running into is that we've created these fake walls. I can be free in this pasture, but I can't be free in the gospel pasture. I'm contained in this one because it's the right thing to do but over here, I can be crazy. Think, think about how stupid we have become. I'm, I'm being very serious right now. I'm not going to go to church, man. I don't want to get that thing. Go to the beach, be there with 15,000 people? Absolutely. Can I tell you something? I, I went to the Alabama-Cincinnati game. It wasn't empty. People drove to Dallas, Texas to be around tens and thousands of people in another state. And half of those people were Yankees. I mean, come on, from Cincinnati. Yeah, we, we brought the whole Ohio disease down. No, whatever it is, like we're sitting there going, I'm willing to put myself out there in this big open pasture. I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to go to a Target. I'm going to go to a movie. They can't tell me what I can and can't do. Go to church. You know what? I really got to be careful right now. Because you've learned to go back into captivity because it's comfortable. It's acceptable. There's a treat if you 
I'm a good person because I do this, but I can go out here and do that. I can go to my job. I can go out to dinner. I can't go to church. I can't do that. I can't be the church. And I can go to the job, and I can go to dinner, and I can go to the movies, and I can have people over, and I can do all those things, but we can't do small groups, though. What, what have we done? When did you become tame and be okay with it? When did I become okay with it? I was called to be bold as a lion. You are called to be the lion and to be the lioness that is roaring, declaring the gospel to the peoples. Looking at people going, you need to get back into church. You need, a, you need a savior. You need a Lord. You need to get right with God. We had that, and now it's like, you yeah. know. I have watched church people, church people, God bless America, church people get more up in arms whether or not you are, you take a vaccination or not, or whether or not you wear a mask or not, but tell somebody that they're lost and they're going to hell. I'm not doing that. That's not my business. That's between them and God. You're going to tell me what I can inject into my body or not. You're going to tell me what I have to wear over my face or not, but you're not willing enough to tell me about my eternal soul? No. No, people. Come on. Wake up, lions. Wake up. You got comfortable in your captivity. Next couple of weeks, pastor's going to be talking a little bit about going into captivity. You need to be here. You need to bring somebody with you. Because it's time that we wake up. We wake up from our sleep. We wake up from our cages. We begin to roar again and make it so uncomfortable that they have to let us out. But it starts with you. It starts today. It starts to look back and ask ourselves, what are the things that we let go of that we're bringing back at all costs? What are the areas in my life that I was so passionate about that I'm no longer passionate about and why? What are the things that I've got to call back home? What are the moments in my life, my personal life, before I go out into the world, me and my family, that I've got to get right and get back on track? Wake up. Get hungry again. Go out into the world. Hunt, kill, and eat. It's time that we go back to what our call was. The mission for every church, every church, is to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission of every church. That's your mission. That is your purpose. That's what we're supposed to be doing on a regular basis. The church was designed that every single week, people would go out, witness, and bring somebody else. That's why we see our first century churches growing at an exponential rate. Because they would go out, they'd get hungry, they would witness, and they'd bring somebody else in. And then that person would get on fire, and then they would both go out, and they'd bring two more in, and then those four would get on fire, and it kept going, and going, and going, and going. Church growth strategy is not a gimmick. It's you witnessing bringing them in. They get saved out there with you. We all disciple together. We do it again. It's not Pastor Allen's special messages. It's not getting up in a costume and making you laugh. 
It's not coming through on a zip line to entertain anybody. The church is called to make a disciple and go out. First in Jerusalem, where you are, your family, get it together, your husband, your wife, your kids, whatever it is, get it going. Move to Judea, your neighborhood, your coworkers, your friends, your outside family, your, your, your in-laws, your outlaws, whatever they are, you get them going. We go to Samaria, the people that are on the fringe of our areas, maybe a friends of a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's the barista at Starbucks, whatever it is, and you begin to develop a relationship with them before we worry about what's taking place outside of our world. Millbrook, Prattville, Elmore County, Autauga County, Montgomery County is full of loss. The harvest is out there. You just got to get out of the cage and get it. God, we thank you for today. Wake us up. Wake us up. Wake us up, oh God. Father, I love you. These people love you. They need you. We recognize your sovereign power. We recognize your word. And God, we just thank you right now that we are waking up to be who you've called us to be. That we not become the, the church of Ephesus who lost our first love, but we continue to be the church that is actively pursuing you with everything that we are. Being the men, being the women, the lions, the lionesses that you've called us to be. This week, God, I ask for moments, God encounters, moments with, with, with people that are needing your word, well, we have testimonies, God, of next week of people bringing people in that were lost. Did they catch one? They went out with boldness. They caught themselves like a gazelle. They bring them in, God. I just thank you that today is a beginning of a turning point at this place in their lives for all who are here and all who are listening. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.